Morning, Dora Hope. My name is Ian. I'm not the good-looking gentleman that you just saw on the screen. I'm the other guy. If you uh, if you got a Bible, why don't you go ahead and crack open to Matthew chapter six? We're going to look at our text today. And while you're turning to Matthew six, um, I got a jury summons in the mail yesterday. And do you think, just give me like a thumbs up or a thumbs down, if I tell them that I'm a Bible-believing, Jesus-following Christian pastor, that they'll say, ah. Yeah? We don't want you. We don't want your kind. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give that a shot. Because I just, you know what, the $10 a day just isn't worth it. Matthew chapter 6. I'm Ian. For anybody who doesn't know me, I'm the other teaching pastor here. Uh, welcome. Love that you're here. Hey, Jake. You guys are back. Love you guys. Good to see you. Um, so follow along with me as we, uh, as we open up our Bibles and, and get into this text. We're going to look at uh, a few verses on prayer this morning. Starting in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 6. We read these words. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. That they may be seen by others. And truly I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be seen or heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. You bow your head with me as we enter into this text one more time. Jesus, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for yourself. Thank you for the gift of prayer. Thank you for being readily available at any moment, any time, any place. I pray, Lord, now that you would, that you would speak to your people, that your children would hear your voice spoken this morning, that your word written would be your word that is preached, that my, my ideas and opinions Uh, would be lost and that I would be set aside and that you would just use me as a broken vessel to convey to your people what it is that they need to hear, what it is that they need to learn and to grow and to mature and to find a, a deeper foundational palpable intimacy with you and that the truth of who you are and what you have done and the eternal joyful ramifications of your work would become more true to them and that they would live that out and that the world around us, that Portland around us would see a people who are in love with you and that they would be drawn to you by us, your church. It's a step-by-step process, Lord. So may this morning be one of those small steps in that direction. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Um, so I'd like to begin this, this message this morning. I, I, This isn't going to be necessarily a sermon about prayer itself. The verses that we just read are sort of a a periphery around the reality of of prayer, around the idea of prayer and and what it is. Uh, And so that's what, it's not going to be really in-depth about what is prayer. Josh is going to get into that next Sunday, so make sure to to come back to be a part of that as as Josh preaches on what has been referred to as the Lord's Prayer in verse 9 and following. But this morning is sort of a, what is is around prayer? What is the heart issue around prayer? What's going on here? What is Jesus teaching us in these few verses? And I'd like to begin with the question, what do you think God is like? You know, no one ever asked me that. I grew up in the church. 
I grew up around church people, uh, pastors and elders and Bible study leaders were people that were commonly around. And when I was young, nobody ever bent the knee down to my level and said, what do you, what do you think about God? What do you think he's like? What do you think his character is? What do you think he thinks? What do you think he is doing? Nobody, nobody ever asked me that. And I don't, I don't know what I would have said as, as a child, but um, I want to ask the question to you now, because that was my biggest hang-up in my life. Those of you who know me know that I have a, a very checkered past, and a lot of the reason for my rebellion and misbehaving is because I didn't understand who God actually is, and so I want to ask that question. And I can't answer it for you. What do you think God is like? A common conception of, of God is that you and him are sort of business partners, that uh, you are kind of a 50-50 split, and he's got ideas, and you've got ideas, and sometimes there's a consensus about that, and if there is, then you can move forward. Or maybe God has ideas, and you think, no, I know better, and you slap his ideas down, and you go with what you think. And so there's this sort of I, there's this mentality that God is kind of in business with doing things alongside of us. Or sometimes it's not really a, a, a step or two far removed from just thinking that, well, God's kind of just like a butler. You know, I, I, I don't really give him much thought or much concern, but whenever I need something, when there's a problem that I can't fix with my own intellect or my own, my own prowess, then, then God's the one to come and fix it in a quick, and then he can go back behind some closed door, and I don't need to think about him. Some people think, and this was probably the closest to my conception when I was growing up, is that, is that God is just, he's, a, he's the boss. That's it, you know? And, and that's more close to the truth because God is Lord. Jesus, Jesus is the Lord of the entire cosmos. He says himself in Luke chapter 6, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Jesus is God, and God is the boss. But if that is true, if Jesus is Lord, then what kind of Lord is he? Which is a whole new set of questions. What, if, if he is king and Lord of the universe, and the creator of you, and the sustainer of everything, which he absolutely is, then what is, still, what is he like? Is he a tyrant? Is he malevolent? Is he hateful? Is he mischievous? Is he at the least kind of capricious and untrustworthy and unpredictable? What do you think about him? Is he the kind of Lord that needs to be forced or at least talked into paying attention to us and helping us? Is that what he's like? Knowing what God is like will help us in our prayer life. Knowing what to expect when we, when we bow the knee in prayer Knowing his character, knowing what he thinks of, of us as humans, knowing what he thinks of you personally will really help shape how it is that you come to him in prayer. And I would even, I would even say like how often, how often you come to him in prayer and the attitude that you have when you come to him in prayer. Because as we see, the, Jesus is, is God of the universe, but, but, but our Lord is identified here in verse 8 as a father. What kind of Lord is he? What kind of leader is he? What kind of king is he? He's a dad. And I know that immediately, I, I, I know that some of us haven't had the best experiences with father. The idea of dad or father, immediately, it's almost like a pejorative term. Um, and we'll readdress that issue a little later in the sermon. But for now, let's just say that God is a good father. He's a perfect father. He is what every human father should be. 
Every, every, I am, a, I am a father, and the kind of father that I should be every moment is the kind of father that God is. What you want a, a father to be, that is who the Lord is. That is the kind of dad that he is. He is perfect. And so prayer to him takes on a very specific posture. We're speaking, we're praying to a loving father. And prayer itself is mysterious. At, at its best, it's, it's honest. It's transparent. And prayer is also assumed. Jesus says here in verses 5, 6, and 7, when you pray, not if you pray, when you pray. It is assumed that Christians are a praying people. And it's relational. It's relational to the father. It is the communication practice it is the practical communication it is the talking to your heavenly father being in relationship with him he is the god who in his sovereignty relates to you as dad scripture says that our spirit cries out abba father that word abba is a very very intimate intimate word my daughter is too young to speak but every now and then when she sees me and we lock eyes she makes this little like ah! sound that's her way of saying dad that's the idea here so if you think that God is a tyrant or that he's malevolent or that he's at best kind of unpredictable and you're not really certain about him, I want you to for a minute just erase all of that out of your mind and listen to what the Bible actually has to say about who God is. Listen to what God says about who he is. What I love about this idea of prayer is that prayer even in if it, just the idea of prayer, the fact that we can come to God in prayer at all is a gracious and a merciful gift. Even after all of the work of the cross, God, the, the, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The second person of the eternal trinity, God the son came to earth, lived a human life without sin in word, thought, or deed, perfect, legally righteous, perfect before the eyes of the father, went to the cross, died a horrific death, was buried in real time, raised three days later, his life was overqualified for death, he ascended to the right hand of God, and even after all that, he didn't ascend into heaven and then dust his hands off and say, okay, all right, my work's done, they can figure it out from here. He doesn't do that. He's still available. He ascended into heaven and he still gives us the gracious gift of being able to come to him in a moment in prayer. And so the question is, what is your relationship to this good father? What do you think of him? What is your relationship to him? Do you actually know him? Do you actually love him? Do you actually have affection for him? Or do you use him and do you use his name to get love and satiation and satisfaction and maybe even some false sense of salvation from someplace else? Are you seeking something or someone else in the name of Jesus? It's possible to do that, and that is what Jesus is addressing here. The lesson here is less about whether or not we actually do pray, and the lesson here is more about why do we pray. What is our heart? What is our goal? What is our ambition? What is it that we're actually seeking? And again, I can't answer these questions. These are for you. What is it that you're seeking? Why do you pray? Are we concerned with self, self-elevation, self-preservation, self-fulfillment, or are we actually concerned with the living Christ himself? And that's kind of a trick question because the reality is that he is very concerned about you. More concerned about you, I would, I would argue, than you're even concerned about yourself. So is our heart, when we come to him in prayer, is our heart 
as the Sermon on the Mount began, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the meek. Is our heart poor in spirit or are we haughty and arrogant? Are we hungering for the kingdom of God and for his righteousness or are we pursuing, are we pursuing self-interest, self-elevation? Are we meek? Do we come to him with meekness or are we showing off to others how good we are? Is our heart one that is for peacemaking or are we trying to separate ourselves from others, not making peace with others, but separating ourselves by elevating our own performance and our own interests above others? There is an authentic prayer that is an intimate communion with our Father, and then there is a hypocritical and ostentatious charade that is more of a performance of prayer to ourselves so that we can get respect and esteem and envy and maybe even the applause from others. And what Jesus calls that is hypocritical. It's how this, it's how this set of verses begins. He says in verse 5, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. This very idea is attached to verse 1 of chapter 6 where he says, be, beware therefore of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. Beware of doing things in order to be seen, in order to be noticed because that is hypocritical. Notice in verse 1 he says, practicing your righteousness. And this is the beautiful paradox of the gospel is that in Jesus Christ, if you're a born again believer, we are righteous. Simultaneously saint and sinner. That's what, that's what Luther's big, mind-blowing, hair-back experience was. was we, I'm a sinner, but I'm still a saint. I'm in this in-between now and not yet kingdom reality. We are righteous. The book of Colossians says that we are holy and blameless and above reproach. And the practicing of righteousness is not a practicing that gets us married into heaven. It's a righteousness that is in the deepest spiritual reality. It's the most absolute fundamental truth of who we actually are in Christ because we are identified in him and our works of righteousness slowly progress more and more and more and are worked out into our actual lives here and now. But if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, this is not, this, this, is, this is who you are becoming more and more apparent in worship and adoration of Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, don't think that what's being preached here is that you need to figure prayer out before you get saved. That's not, that's not what's happening here. We don't earn it. We don't, we don't get to, we, we don't climb ladders in Christ, we are righteous. We are holy and blameless and above reproach. And the practicing of righteousness is a working out of that reality, a working out of what we already are. Jesus says here, and so when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Standing in the synagogues is, is a legitimate way to pray. So this, what we're going to, what we're going to hit on again and again and again here is the issue of the heart. Jesus isn't saying don't pray in the synagogue. Praying in the synagogue was the place where people prayed. It was, it was perfectly fine and it was also simultaneously very public. One of uh, the verses that speaks to this is, is uh, Luke commending this woman in, in Luke chapter 2 when, when the baby, baby Jesus is brought in by his parents and there's this woman there. She's 84 years old. Luke chapter 2, 37. She's 84 years old and it says that she was a widow and she never left the temple while she was serving night and day with fasting and prayers. That woman wasn't showing off. She was in the temple every single day fasting and praying, but her heart was legitimate and it's the heart that the Father is after. 
Proverbs 16.2 says, All of the ways of a man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motives. How is your heart? What are your motives? Praying in the synagogue, praying in the street corners. You know, it's funny, in Portland, Oregon, if you see somebody praying on the street corner, you don't necessarily think, I want what that guy has, you know? But back in the day, it was a totally normal thing. In Jesus' time, it was perfectly normal. Astute Jews would, would stop wherever they were at the, at the hours of prayer, and they would pray. And so again, being on the street corner isn't in and of itself wrong. Jesus isn't saying thou shalt not pray on the street corners. That's not what he's saying here, but the idea that he's getting at is that the intentional and premeditated effort to find the biggest audience possible on the busiest street that you can find so that people can listen to me pray. Jesus is saying that heart posture is wrong. You're not doing it to know your father. You're not doing it out of affection or devotion or worship. You're doing it for applause. That's what he says, so that they may be seen by men. Again, we're at street corner, synagogue, here at Door of Hope. Public prayer is not wrong. One of the most beautiful prayer, I mean, not one of, I take that back, the most beautiful prayer in the Gospels. Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer, was somewhat public. His boys could hear him praying this prayer. The Lord is looking for the heart posture. This isn't a schematic about it's okay to pray here and it's not okay to pray here. That's not the main point. The main point is why? What is your heart? Why are you doing this? If you stand in the middle of Hawthorne Street and you bow your head in prayer, fine. But why are you doing it? Why? And conversely, if you refuse to come to a group prayer because you're so scared of what people might think of you, that's a, that's a problem with the heart. First, Chronicles 28.9, the Lord searches all hearts and understands every intent of the thought. So they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. And there it is. There's, there's why these hypocrites are doing what they're doing because they think that it gets them something. It gets them clout. It gets them admiration. It gets them applause. Matthew 23, Jesus speaking to these hypocrites or speaking about these hypocrites. It's sort of, he's doing both. He's speaking to them and he's also warning about them. He says, they do all of their deeds to be seen by others for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. They love to be called rabbi by others. That's why they do what they do. And the horrible misstep there is that praise from people, worship of men, the applause the adoration, it's shallow, it's temporary, it's absolutely empty. And it's a false replica of the praise that we really need, and that's the praise that comes from the one true God. If you are in Christ Jesus, then what, what the Father spoke over Jesus at his baptism, in Mark chapter 1, Jesus is baptized, the skies break open, and Father God says, you, you, you are my beloved son, and with you I am well pleased. If you are in Christ, that is the praise for you as well. He sees you, he sees his son's perfect righteousness, and in, 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 and in you he is well pleased. That is what we all want to hear. We show off and we dress right, and these guys, they're so, back in the day, this isn't really true anymore for us. 
But back in the day, the way to get social clout was to look righteous. It was to look right. It's very different today. We, we find social standing in other ways. But this is how they did it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pray loud. And I'm going to pray a lot. So that people will look at me and they'll go, wow. That really is somebody. They're looking for a refreshing that actually it's a, ref it's a refreshing that only comes from the Lord. I've been thinking about this so much. This verse hit me so, so hard this week. In uh, Acts chapter 3, verse 19, Peter is preaching a blistering sermon, but he says to the people that he's preaching to, he says, repent and turn so that times of refreshment may come from the presence of the Lord. Not from the presence of fans, not from the presence of groupies or from the presence of, I don't know, whatever it is that people might seek. What we're actually looking for is praise that comes from God himself. Every other form of praise that's beneath that is false. It's fake, it's temporary, it's a mirage, and it will leave you bereft it will leave you clamoring for something else only in Jesus is the satiation the water that spills out to everlasting life and really satisfies you Jesus said my my body is true bread my blood is true drink only in him only salvation in his name saving you from your sins is actual rest for your souls and the people that Jesus is speaking to had it all twisted up and they thought well if people look at me and they and they get out of the way when I'm walking through then I've really made it Jesus is warning them, and he's warning us, don't be like them. He says, to go into, he says, go into private, verse six. He says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. There's so much here. I wanna point out two things uh, very specifically. One is that Jesus says, go. He says, when you pray, he says, go, go. That means you intentionally set up a time and a place to, to go. I'm gonna go do this. I am setting in my mind to actually go. Do, it's not just prayer can be spontaneous. It can be off the cuff. It can be immediate. It can be unplanned. It can be unthought. It can be not, not premeditated. But I would say that one of the biggest things lacking in the church's life, one of the biggest things lacking in my life has been an intentional time set apart to go and pray. And friends, I've got to tell you right now, man, every Wednesday and every Saturday there is group prayer right here. Mel and Jean have been leading it faithfully for a long time now. And I know that some of y'all have work, some of y'all have multiple kids, some of y'all have really good reasons and legit reasons that you cannot make it, but in a room this big, some of y'all are just lazy. And I'm telling you, I don't want to beat anybody up, but I am telling you that you are missing out. You're missing out. You're cutting yourself short. You're missing out on something that is beautiful. And I've been guilty of it. I've, I've seen my alarm go off at 5 a.m. and gone, nah, today. And I miss out. This is the, the, sick, the prayers that happened here in the morning, the prayers that happened here all week during this week of prayer and fasting were incredible. They're amazing. And not any single one prayer meeting might like blow your hair back, but keep coming. Make it a lifestyle. Make it a routine. How many things do we give ourselves to in a monotonous routine kind of way that are just empty? Discipline yourself. Get up early and come to prayer. And then give it a month. See what happens. Give it two months. Keep coming. I was just talking to a guy. The very, one of the last prayer meetings that we had here, a, a, a guy came up to me, and he was talking about how lonely he had been 
for the last several months. And he finally had come to a prayer thing. And he was so excited. And he was like beating himself up because he's like, I know that this is here and I just, and I just, I tell myself I'm gonna go and then I don't. And he finally did. And he was so excited. Come to prayer, challenge yourself. The devil's gonna tell you, hey man, you've had a hard week. It's been long, a lot of hours. You're tired, you deserve to sleep in. Come to prayer. It's not a legalist thing. It's a good thing. It's like exercise. It kind of, you know, it's hard at times, but it's so good for you. It's good for the longevity of your soul, not just your body. Come to prayer. Go into, go, go. Set up a time. Intentionally set up a side to go into prayer. And he says, go to your, go into your room and shut the door and your father who is in secret. This is one of my favorite things about the reality of our God is that he's in secret. The deepest, darkest dungeon that anyone could ever put you in, Jesus is available to you there. There is no place that he is unavailable. There is no place where he cannot and will not listen to you. There's no place that you can go. And that might be terrifying to some people, but to those of us who want the Lord, to those of us who love him, man, think about it. You can go actually literally hide yourself in the, in the linen closet in your house and Jesus can hear you. That's an amazing reality. First Kings chapter 8 says that heaven and the highest heavens cannot contain you, O Yahweh. The Lord is so big that he's everywhere. Psalms 139.7 says, Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. One of the most moving sermons that I ever heard was a guy preaching to 800 prisoners who were serving a life sentence, a maximum security prison, 800 men who were going to die in prison. And this pastor got up and he said, even here you have hope. Even here you are not cut off from communicating with the God who holds the sun in place. That's an amazing reality. Do you stop and think about that? Go and pray in secret. Because even there, the Lord is present. He's that good. He's that intimate. He's that after you. And even if you're held against your will, even if you're in prison, even there where, hey, you can't earn anything, that Jesus comes in even there and makes himself available. Even serving life in a maximum security prison, there's no place more secret than that. Jesus is available to you. He's concerned about your heart. And we may not even know our own heart, I might have asked the question, what do you think about God? What do, what do you think of his character? What do you think he's like? And you might have answered, I don't actually really know. I'm not sure. And you know, it's so great about Jesus is that that's a prayer that you can go to him with. Even that is something that you can express to him. Psalms 139 again says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. What is in your heart? Jesus isn't saying you can only pray in secret and you cannot pray. He's just getting to your heart. It's not about whether you're in private or not. It's not about whether you're in church or with a group of friends in, in the auditorium of the sanctuary. It doesn't, it, it doesn't matter. Where is your heart at? That's what the Lord wants. He wants your heart. He wants you. And in pursuit of you, he has made himself utterly and totally vulnerable, relatable, 
And for the taking, he's yours. Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. And conversely, the kind of the opposite of the big ostentatious, what I like to call the big vocal parade, you know, the big, oh Lord, that whole like thing with the smoke lanterns and the incense and, the, and everybody's gonna see me and I'm gonna put pictures of me praying on Instagram or whatever, like there's that whole thing. But then there's the, you know, you see, you see somebody in, in the corner of the church with, with their hands by their side and you might think, you know, what's, you know what, this actually, I just remembered this in this, this moment right now. One of like the three Yelp reviews that I've read about Door of Hope, somebody complained and said that we didn't like, we weren't dancing, you know? <laughs> it seemed like it was sort of a dead crowd. Like people were just standing, they were singing, but there wasn't a whole lot of people crying and there was nobody shaking a hula hoop or anything. And so this person was like, this is a dead church. Don't judge. Don't judge. Somebody standing with their hands by their side, looking off into, the, into nothing, might, they might be worshiping. It's, it's who knows? We can't judge that. What's, what is your heart? I'm going to be honest with you. Whenever I'm really worshiping the Lord, when I'm really thinking about the realities of the gospel and what it means for me and how as a, as a pastor and as a father and as a husband and what all, all of the implications of that and I'm thinking about the good news of the, of the kingdom of heaven that there's a, an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading and that Jesus is available at any given moment at any given time without any sort of ceremony necessary whatsoever. That's good news and when the weight of that really hits me, I don't, raise, I'm not a, I don't raise my hands. I don't shake my feet. Typically, I sit down. When I'm really feeling it, I sit down. And somebody might look at, look at the pastor and be like, what's his problem? You know, fair enough. They're free to think that. But friends, we cannot judge other people. Search me. Know me. Oh God, Psalms 119 says, 1 Corinthians 4 says, don't judge before the Lord comes. He'll bring to light what is now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purpose of the heart. Friends, be honest with, who, with, with your heart. Be honest with who you are. Don't worry about your neighbor's thinking. Don't worry about what the culture thinks. Don't worry about what church culture thinks. Who is God to you? Do you believe in him? Do you worship him? Do you love him? Or are you trying to get something else? Because that something else, whatever it is, it's gonna let you down. It will fail you. It will die or you will die, only God can satiate souls. He's the only one worth worshiping. Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites. They have received their reward in full. The good for you guy, that is shallow, and it's gone. Pray in secret, be intentional, be authentic, be transparent, be honest before your God. Shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You know, this reward can, can be multifaceted. And we're gonna, we're gonna keep on that theme as, as the weeks continue, but what I'd like to just say for our time this morning is that part of the reward is acknowledging and knowing in the depth of your soul, knowing for real, knowing cognitively and knowing limbically that the Lord of the heavens and the earth who sustains the entire universe by the word of his power, that God is with you. He's listening to you. There's seven plus, maybe eight now, billion people on the planet. 
and he hears you. He knows how many hairs are on your head. And I think that it would do us some good to just stop, have, it, have some tea, and think about that for a while. That's a reward. That's beautiful. Do you know that? And the depth to which you know it is rewarding. The Father is with you. He wants to hear from you. And prayer can give you a, a clear conscience as you live out in obedience. Prayer can give you treasures in heaven where moth does not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And prayer can give you a palpable intimacy with Jesus. And as good as all that stuff is, as, as timeless as intimacy, as necessary as intimacy with Jesus is the most, in, the most necessary thing, intimacy with the risen Jesus you might still actually get exactly what you want. And, and you might not. I was, you know, I was trying to think of examples of this in my own life and, and the, 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 the two easy ones that just fly off the paper is that I prayed that my dad would survive his cancer and he didn't. And my response to that is, Lord, I trust you, yes and amen. And I prayed real hard that my, that my child, at the time we didn't know if we were having a boy or a girl, but I was praying that my child would be healthy and we had, man, my little girl, Ella, was born at home. We had a midwife, no doctors, no drugs, no nurses, and it was like, dude, are we really doing this, you know? Lord, help. Woo! And Angie got it done. And, you know, and my prayer leading up to that was that Ella would be, would be okay and that Angie would be okay, and they totally were. The prayer for my dad living here on earth, that prayer was answered no. Prayer that my little girl would be born healthy and that my wife would be okay, that was answered yes. Okay, thank you, Lord, and we, and we move on, and we move on. But even, 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 when, this, even when the answer is no, do you, trust, do you trust Jesus? Do you trust him? Him taking my father, man, that was, you know, I've talked about it a lot because it, was, it impacted my entire world. But I trust the Lord because he's so good. He's proven himself worthy. He went to the cross. So he doesn't have any malevolence towards me. If he takes my dad, he's got something in mind that's better than what I think. Do you trust that? Do you go to prayer with that kind of attitude? Because if you're, if you're not, you're selling, your, you're, you're selling yourself short and you're selling the Lord short because he's so good. Even when things don't work out the way that you want, do you believe that it's for a good reason? Because there's peace there. There's trust there. There's safety there. So there's the hypocrisy that masquerades as prayer and then there's the passionate-less, heartless, thoughtless, indifferent, and unconcerned prayer, faux prayer that's not really concerned about actual legitimate communion with the living God. And, and that's the empty phrases of verse 7. When, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. The empty phrases, Jesus uh, says this very clearly. You don't have to turn there, but I'm just going to read this to you quickly. In, in Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 38, Jesus, warning about the scribes, he says, he says and in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes, and they like to get greetings in the marketplace, and have the best seats in the synagogues, and the places of honor at the feasts. But they devour widows' houses, and they, for a pretense, make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. That for a pretense, they will make long prayers. That means for show. That's so, that means so that people will look at them. For the, for the stated purpose of being gawked at, they make these long, empty prayers 
wordy prayers. Again, having a lot to say to the Lord, not the problem. Not the problem. I have walked the beach of Savi Island back and forth for hours crying out to God. The long prayers, that's okay, but empty phrases. Why are you doing it? Do you think that you need to put him into a corner that he'll hear you if you just don't shut up? He's anxious to hear you. He wants to hear you. He's glad to hear you. So why do you say what you say? This is Jesus' question here. Why, why do they say what they say? That's the vocal parade. It's ostentatious and it's pompous. It's highfalutin and it's empty jargon so that we might sound educated or spiritual so that others, again, will look at us and go, oh, wow, that guy must have gone to Princeton or that guy must have a PhD or whatever. Why do we pray the way that we pray? Repeated or memorized prayers can be authentic. And I actually, I think, I, I, you've seen me often come up here at the end of at the, end of the service and there's, there's one of three prayers that I'll often just sort of off the cuff be like, you know what, I want to pray this over the people today. And they're, they're prayers of, of Paul's. They're, 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 they're prayers that he wrote in scripture that I think should be memorized and should be prayed. They should be repeated. Colossians 1.9 is a good example. And I'd write it down if I was you. If you're looking for a good prayer, if you're looking for something that, that is, just gets to the heart of the matter, it's a good, solid prayer. It starts in Colossians 1.9. The other one is Ephesians 3.14. That's an amazing prayer that Paul prays for the church in Ephesus. My favorite is Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. May the God of hope, yeah, did I say that? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. That's a good prayer. That's not thoughtless, it's not heartless, it's memorized. So again, all of this comes down to the heart. Do you pray in public? Do you come to, do you come to a church meeting and pray in the back? Good. Jesus is not saying that's wrong. Do you, do, do you sit in your office at home or in your bedroom in, in quiet, reflective prayer in isolation? That's, that's fine. Jesus is not dictating what is okay and what is not okay except for the heart posture. Do we do this to seek praise elsewhere? That's the issue here. Why do we pray? Why do we say what we say? The memorized and routine prayers, even the ones in scripture that I just mentioned, they can be beautiful, they can be authentic, and the memorized routine can also become sort of a habitual and thoughtless semi-conscious routine, can it not? I actually, for a long time, and I still struggle with this, don't pray before I eat. Because all of my life growing up, it was just like such a thing that it was like, I didn't, it just didn't mean anything to me. I have to, and I have to tell this one quick story. I don't, I don't think that he would mind, but uh, if he does, he can, he can write me an email about it. I remember the, the very first time that I hung out with Josh Girls, and if you know Josh Girls, he's like six foot five. He's huge. He's this big man. And we were sitting at this little restaurant in Southeast Portland, and the waiter brought us our food, and Josh just grabbed his plate, and he lifted it up, and he goes, thanks, man. And he set it back down. That was it. <laughs> I loved it. But it was real. You know, it was authentic. It was authentic. It wasn't mindless. It wasn't thoughtless. It wasn't semi-conscious. It's a matter of the heart. Whether it's memorized, whether it's short, whether it's long, all of that is sort of 
not the point. Paul prayed three times, 2 Corinthians, that the thorn in his flesh might be removed from him. He's not accused of bothering the Lord with his redundant words. Jesus himself prayed three times in the garden, may this cup pass from me. Those are authentic, legitimate prayers. So if you are sitting here this morning and evaluating all of this stuff and thinking about your heart and thinking about your motives and thinking about what is the reason for doing the things that you do and praying the way that you pray and you think that your attitude towards the Lord might be wrong, are you at least willing to ask the prayer of Psalms 139, Lord, search me. He wants to hear from you. And that's a legitimate prayer. Lord, search me. Lord, help. Lord, where am I off? That's a legitimate prayer. That's a beautiful prayer. Don't be afraid to pray that. Go home and read Psalms 139. All of the Psalms are full of long, redundant prayers that are from the heart. That's what makes them so beautiful. And finally, you know, in in closing, going to verse 8, one of my favorite Favorite verses about, about in, in, in Romans chapter 8, Paul says that the Spirit intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. And this is one of the most, this is one of the most helpful things in moments of real, of, of real calamity. You know, it, some of you, I'm sure, have been so emotionally overthrown that you can't even put what you're feeling into English, yeah? You can't even speak it. It just hurts. It just hurts. Or you've been so overjoyed that you can't put what you're thinking, you can't put what you're feeling, you can't put what you want to say into words. And so things just kind of cry out. I remember when, I was, when, my, when my head was on my dead father's chest, I wasn't saying anything. I was just crying. And what I love about our God, and if you're here this morning and you don't know what God's character is like, what I love about our God is that the God of the universe, in that moment, he knew what I was saying. The Spirit intercedes with groaning too deep for words. You all have felt something too deep for words. Anyone over the age of 12 has felt something too deep for words. Prayers don't even have to be intelligible. It can just be emotion turned to God. And he hears you. Do you believe that? He hears you. And he's good. And he's not not one tear will be wasted. Not one cry will be lost. He hears you. He loves you, and he wants you to come to him in trust and in affection. The way that, man, the way that this is becoming so much more real to me because I'm a father now. And, my, and it's funny because my little girl, is she feels all this stuff, but she can't speak yet. So she cries real loud or she makes these high squeak sounds, but she's at the age now where she'll, she'll, she'll catch eyes with me and she'll smile. Ugh. The Lord wants that from you. You're his child. And if you're not a parent and you don't know exactly what that's like, I think you can kind of understand it though, right? A child looking at their dad and just being like, it's you. Hi. I love you. Watch me learn how to dribble a basketball. I mean, it's that simple. You know, he loves you. He wants to hear from you. He knows what you need. Verse 8. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So I 
I'm going to finish with this. I'll just make this point to one verse. You, you may not get exactly what you want, and you may not want what it is that you need. It's a hard truth following the Lord. What he gives you is always what's best, and it's always what you need, but that's not always what we want. So do you trust him? There is where trust comes into play. But he knows what you need, and we know that we can trust him, and we know that he has our best in mind in the eternal realm, even if it means that we get something that really hurts here and now, because you know what he knew you needed before you knew it? He knew you needed Jesus. He knew you needed forgiveness. He knew you needed salvation. He knew that you needed to be brought back into his kingdom, brought back home into his heaven, and so he sent his son to die on the cross for your sins. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, so that whosoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And Jesus came before anybody in this room knew they needed him. In case you think that God might be a bad father or a disconnected father or a kind of aloof or indifferent father, there's your verse. There's one of them. I don't have time for any more, but there's one. John 3, 16. He sees you and he loves you so much that at great cost to him, Jesus voluntarily came to earth to die on a cross for your sins. So you cannot say he doesn't care. You can't say he's not paying attention. You can't say he's a jerk, he's cynical, he's tired, he's worn out. The cross was it. If the cross didn't turn him away from you, then nothing's gonna. Do you trust him? Do you love him? Not, not a real in-depth sermon about prayer itself, but the heart posture around prayer. God is good and he wants to hear from you. Believe that even in private, even in the quiet, even in a maximum security prison, Jesus is available. He's that good. Amen? Amen. Jesus, thank you for this short but profound few verses that you have here. Thank you for reminding us that despite what we think, despite what we feel, you are good you are available and you love us. You love us so much that you initiated. You went forward first. You loved and you sent your son. And I pray, Lord, that that would be a transformative reality this morning. It would be transformative for those who are in your body, transformative for those who are born again and believe in you, but that they would understand at a deeper level, that they would understand in a more wide and broad sense that you are safe and that you are good and that you are trustworthy and that their trust and that their affection would build because of that truth. Lord, communicate that to them by the power of your spirit. And if those, there are those here this morning who do not believe in you, who are not born again, Lord, draw them to yourself. The word says that it is your kindness that leads to repentance. May you please reveal to a lost person to this morning that you are kind and that everything that they're searching for in this city or in the approval of man is faulty and that it's actually a mirage of what you have to offer and that they turn to you in repentance. May they find forgiveness and life in your name. Give us a heart of worship this morning, Lord. Thank you that we can gather here together. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Hey, friends, this is Russ Lacey, one of the pastors here at Door of Hope Southeast. 
Thanks for listening to this teaching. We always want to encourage you to give to your local church and would never want to supplant that. But if you're a regular listener and would like to help our church as we seek to point people to Jesus and minister here in the city of Portland, we'd welcome your prayers and financial support. Just head over to doorofhopepdx.org and click Give from the menu bar. May God bless you.